I sound like I'm on. I'd like to be closer to you. Am I violating something by doing this? I, I want to be careful. Well, some churches, you don't, you don't know. Um, so I'm Mark. This is my wife, Michelle. And I uh, want to tell you a little bit about us. We are friends of Mike and Katie Hand. And uh, they kind of opened the door for us to come and speak here. Better still, we're lovers and followers of Jesus. Right? I mean, that's, that's the numero uno thing. And uh, we have been called to reach Muslims. We were in Chicago in an immigrant neighborhood of Muslim people from India and Pakistan for 16 and a half years. And we felt the Lord moving us to the Middle East. And now before we moved to the Middle East for six or eight years prior, I and sometimes we were making trips into the Arabian Peninsula or Persian Gulf, into the countries of Bahrain, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, and the United Arab Emirates. And we would go there, so we were reaching out to Indians and Pakistanis in Chicago. In this per these Persian Gulf countries, uh, I would go there to envision and equip and encourage Christian Indians living there as expatriate workers to share their faith in Christ with the local Arab Muslims that they lived and work, worked among. And so when we felt the Lord moving us, we found ourselves making another trip to that part of the world saying, Lord, is this it? Is this it? And uh, our, our mission director at the time said, if you're going to go to those countries to, to discern this, you must go to Jordan because we have teams in Jordan. So we also went to Jordan. And when we came back from that trip, we had five opportunities of you know, for ministries for us to go and move there and get involved with. And so we ended up moving to Jordan to learn language. We ended up studying language a lot, and we learned some language. Um, Arabic is hard in your mid-50s when it's your first, second language. <laughs> um, and uh, to share Christ with Jordanians on the streets, and then also to be involved with uh, reaching out and, and helping Syrian refugees, because the Syrian refugees were very big in the news at that time. We, we moved to Jordan in 2014, and um, we were a year in Amman, and then we moved up right near to the border with Syria and to a village called Mufrik that had doubled in size. Uh, now I might have the numbers off a little bit, but something like uh, from 80,000 people before the Syrian crisis to 160,000 afterward. And so the Muslims are very good with hospitality and helping out their brothers and all of that, but very quickly, a lot less quickly than maybe with us Americans, they got compassion fatigue. And so it was hard. We were working with the church there, uh, just helping out the Syrian refugees. They were Muslims looking for opportunities to share Christ and finding them, and a number of Muslims have embraced Christ and we're shining brightly. And we've heard since we left that there's a lot more now even still. So that's, that's great. Problem was when we were in Jordan for a year and a half, actually not quite, we were in our house one day. It was a Sunday afternoon and there was a loud knock at the door. We thought it was the neighborhood kids getting overly aggressive for their candy that we were too nice and we're giving out. But I opened the door and there were 17 people there dressed in black with guns drawn. They said, are you Mr. Mark Engel? I said, yes, I am. 
He said, we are with the Mukhabarat. I said, what's that? He says, it's like the FBI, but in Jordan. I said, what do you want? We'd like to search your house. What are you looking for? Weapons and explosives. Ahalanu sahalan, which means, come on in. You're welcome. You know, we have no weapons and explosives. So right away, I'm up against the wall. They're frisking me. They got our electronics. I thought you were looking for weapons and explosives. We're looking for electronics, too. Great. So all my missionary letters and all that stuff, right? Uh, I'm, I'm busted. But they don't come to missionaries like that. They thought we were ISIS. And uh, so after one and three-quarter hours searching our apartment, they told us to come into the secret police headquarters the next day. We did. We were in the interview for a full two and three-quarter hours. And, you know, they did some of these psychological games that you see on TV and stuff, and they did a little bit of good cop, bad cop, and a little of this, a little of that. And condensing the story, a month later, they called me up and said, you and your wife are no longer welcome in Jordan. You must leave. How long do we have? You know, do I have a month or two weeks? And he said, you have a week or less. <laughs> okay, so we ended up going to Israel because in Israel, the Muslims there speak the same dialect of Arabic that we were learning. And, um, I, and the other places that spoke that same dialect, like Syrian, Syria war zone. I mean, in Mufrik, we were hearing bombs in the background on occasion. Lebanon uh, didn't appeal to us. And the other one was, was Israel with the Palestinians or Arab Israelis. So we moved into Israel. And uh, we went in and out for some time on tourist visas. And then we went in and talked to some missionaries. And they said, hey, a great way to get a visa is as a student. So I became a student, very part-time, at Hebrew University. I took one class a semester. And that gave us a student visa annual for five years. And we're partway through the five years. And we're thinking, OK, Lord. Um, they say after five years, you're not going to get this anymore. And uh, Lord, we're praying that, that you would open the door for us to stay another year. And so we prayed. We sent out newsletters. Please pray that we could stay another year. And, um, and then it came to me. Let's pray this other way. Lord, what would you have us do? <laughs> and so um, that's... That's kind of the, the start of, of what I'm going to be talking about this morning. I want to tell you a secret. I met the Lord when I was 18 years old. And when I was 18, I just was so hungry for the word. I still am today. Any of you still hungry for the word on occasion? Maybe every day? Isn't that great? So back then, <clears throat> I never liked when missionaries came to speak during sermon time because they'd talk about all their missionary stuff and they wouldn't give me the word of God. Well, guess what? I have a conviction since then that if I'm the missionary coming to speak, I want to give you something from the word of God and just not the stories, right? Now, the stories, God is at work. That's wonderful. But um, let me um, talk a little bit about faith today. And so I, the definition of faith in a verse, <clears throat> Hebrews 11.1, 1, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things uh, not seen. In Matthew 17, 20, Jesus told us that by our faith we can move mountains and that nothing is impossible for us. In Luke 17, 5, 
the apostles asked Jesus, increase our faith. How did he respond? He said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted by the sea, and it would obey you. But in verses 7 through 10 in the same passage, Jesus is still answering the question. Let's turn there in our Bibles. Uh, we're looking at Luke 17. Pastor, I didn't look at the clock when I first started. What time do you want me to wrap up? Oh, you're good. You don't know where I'm going. <laughs> okay. And uh, if I see more than one person doze, I'll close quickly. Is that fair? <laughs> okay. Luke 17, verse 6. Verse 5, And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. Verse 7, And, continuing from the first thing he said about the mulberry tree, <clears throat> Which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he's come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? <laughs> We're Americans. That's what we want to do, right? But, he, but will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he think that's, Does he thank that servant because he did these things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, so this is the point of the faith question, so likewise you, when you have done all these things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Well, wait a minute. I'm an American Christian. <laughs> Don't tell me that's how I'm to serve the Lord. You know, he's my buddy. He's my friend. Well, he's also our Lord and our master and our God. And he wants us to obey him with full hearts and with humility recognizing that he is master and we are servant. And that's a part of Jesus' response when they said, Lord, increase our faith. Now, here's one of my favorite faith passages. This is Joshua 14. And I'll bet you're familiar with this. I heard some laughter. Um, so the context here is you know, Joshua and Caleb, earlier, they, they went, they investigated the land, and they came back with a faithful report. The other ten did not. Now, 40 years in the desert, and, and Moses is dead. They're going in with Joshua to take over the land. So, Joshua 14, verse 6. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word, this is Caleb talking to Joshua, You know the word which Yahweh said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me at Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when we did that, and we came back with the good report. Let's skip to verse, the end of verse 8. But I wholly followed the Lord, Yahweh my God. Now verses 10 through 12. And now behold, Yahweh has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, 
Ever since the Lord spoke his word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am. I'm 85 years old, and yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. I love this. He's 85 years old. God spoke to me 40 plus years ago. And then it goes on, and he speaks of the Anakim. Where am I? Verse 12. Give me this mountain, for you heard in that day how the Anakim, those were the giants, right? The giants in the land. They were there, and the cities were great and fortified. It may be that Yahweh will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as Yahweh said. Maybe I'm going to do it. You give me the mountain, and I'm going to take this mountain. That's faith, isn't it? I love that. It's based on God's word. It's fully trusting in God, and it's fearless and willing to exert effort like a young man, a young man of war, even at age 85. That's faith. I want that. I'm not 85 yet, but I want that kind of faith. But so who, there are two people in the Gospels that Jesus, and only two, that Jesus commended for their faith. Who are they? One was the centurion, and the other was the Canaanite woman, or the Syrophoenician woman, meaning she was from Syria, and, you know, kind of near the land where the old Phoenician empire was. And so, in, in Luke 7, beginning at verse 2, We see that the man that comes is a Gentile and a centurion. A certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So we know the story. Okay, I'm not going to read through the whole thing. I have a tight time here. Pastor Denny says I'm free to talk as long as I want. I don't know if you can endure that long. So we have a, a Gentile, a centurion. He's a man of high authority. Uh, now this is you know, these are the occupiers of Israel. And the, the centurion, he had 100 people under his command, had a servant, and it says in verse 2, the servant was dear to him. So this is a Gentile, not a covenant person of Israel, but he was humble. He, he loved, his servant was dear to him. I mean, someone of that authority in that time, this one's sick, you know, it's like the Doritos commercial. It's okay, we'll make more, right? It, it's not a problem. But this servant was dear to him. There was something about his heart. The, then the elders of, of, of Judaism came and appealed to Jesus for him and said that this centurion was deserving of Jesus to come heal. He loved the nation of Israel, and he had even built a synagogue. So this is a man who people in Judaism said, this is a deserving man, Jesus. Come heal his servant. A genuinely righteous man, but now look at the centurion's humility. 
When the elders said that he was deserving and why, he sent a messenger to Jesus and said, I am not worthy to even have you come under the roof of my house. I'm not worthy. All these people said, he's a worthy man, heal his, heal his servant. But he said, I am not worthy. This is genuine humility. And then he spoke of his understanding of authority. Now, usually when we look at this passage, we say that his faith was because he understood authority. It might be the humility as well. So he says, I'm a man under authority. I tell someone to do this and go there, and they, they do it. And so you don't even have to come to my house. Just say it, and it's done. And Jesus said, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And most people, when Jesus healed them, he laid hands on them. He looked directly at the person. This one, no hint of that. Servants went back. When they got back there, the, you know, the real servant was healed. Wow. So who's the other person that, that Jesus said had great faith? I've already told you. It's the, the Canaanite woman. And so there Jesus said to her, great is your faith. Again, a Gentile. And in that patriarchal, male-dominated culture, now we're talking to a woman. And when she appealed, so here we're, we're going to look at, if you want to open the scripture, uh, Matthew 15, 21. And again, I'm going to go, I'm going to skip over, I'm going to skim over the passage because I think most of us are familiar with it. But I will touch some highlights. Matthew 15, 21. Okay, a woman, verse 22, Behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to Jesus, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. That son of David, that's the same thing as saying Messiah of Israel. So here's a woman. She's a Gentile. She doesn't live in Israel proper, but she knows something. You are the Messiah, son of David. Um, then in... Uh, the parallel passage in Mark 7:27, Jesus says, it's not good to take the, the food of the children and throw it to the little dogs. Well, now that's pretty insulting, huh? But the woman, she wasn't insulted or deterred. She was humble. She was in need. And she pressed forward again, even agreeing with the identity Jesus gave her of little dog. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs at the, at the table get the crumbs which fall from their master's table. There again. So she's saying, it's okay. Call me a little dog. I'll call you my master, and I'll take the crumb. Humility. She refers to Jesus as her master. And the similarity in both stories, the only stories where Jesus tells someone you have great faith, is great humility. Wow. Now, some would ask, okay, so you have those two stories, Mark, but what about the verse and the passages where Jesus says, if you're going to come to me, you must come as a little child. You have to have the faith of a child. Neither of those passages speak about the child having faith. 
It's not the faith of a child. Jesus just says, you have to come to me as a child. And so those passages are Luke 18, 16 and Matthew 8, 1 through 4. And um, so I have a question. Do all, so you have to come to me as a child. Okay, so this is something that's characteristic of all children. Do all children have faith? No, <laughs> not really. Maybe some people say, well, the, the way you come to Jesus as a child is because you're obedient. Well, for this to be true, again, it has to be true of all children. Have you known all children to always be obedient? Uh, some laughter here. Some parents, grandparents, people that were children once in the room. Um, what about innocence? You have to be innocent as a child. Well, that's nice sentimentally, but if any of you were children before, or have children, or have had children, children are not always innocent. Do you know what is true of all kids, what all kids really are? They're dependent. They're dependent on their parents to care for them. And so again, while this isn't speaking of faith, I think it's something we can look at and say, I want to be dependent and in my heart and in my spirit on God, on Jesus, on the Holy Spirit. And we are intellectually, but as the Lord was showing me this, I found myself, my prayers changing a little bit. Lord, I'm dependent on you. Please take care of me. And the Lord answered. Now, it's the new revelation, and sometimes the Lord does that right away with the new revelations, but isn't that what we should be anyway? I, I think so. So what are we learning about faith beyond the definition of faith from Hebrews 11.1? 1? Well, one, it can move mountains and even mulberry trees, <laughs> right? Mountain sounds bigger, but he said that about a mulberry tree as well. It also refers to faithfulness and obedience. As with Caleb, it's based on God's word and following the Lord, and it is bold and courageous. Hallelujah. I, I like that. Um, and it's characterized by humility, as with the centurion and the Canaanite woman. And even though, again, we're not really talking about faith on this one, it's certainly good to be entirely dependent on God as a little child. Okay, back to my situation, our situation with Michelle and I in Israel. Uh, I had something interesting happen just three months ago. Uh, we were picking up someone uh, at the border crossing from Jordan to Israel. And these were friends that we had met in Jordan, and they were coming over for one of the biblical feasts. And so we'd been to this crossing once years before. So I put in to Google Maps, a.k.a. that lady's voice, Our Lady of Deception, right? <laughs> put into Google Maps, border crossing Jordan. And so I looked at it, it goes up north, you know, we're, our, our village, Abu Ghosh, eight miles west of Jerusalem, Arab Muslim village, up north, it looked about right, off we go. So we end up at a place, it looked different, now this, okay, so we had COVID, and roads always change around here, it must be okay. So we parked the car in a parking lot that doesn't look quite right, but again, things change all the time. So Michelle says, well, ask some of those men. So I asked some of the men, and 
these are all Arab guys, and they look, you know, rough like hard worker rough. And I asked them, and they said, Janine, Janine. Now, Janine is a city in Israel. It's a Palestinian city in Israel. The two worst, most dangerous cities are number one, Gaza, and two, Janine. And Janine, just like in the week prior to that, people from Janine were getting out into Israel and killing Israelis. And so Israeli military would come in and they were doing things and shootouts on the streets of Janine and all kinds of stuff. So they're saying, Janine, Janine, I don't know what they're talking about. I'm trying to make it, make it out with, their, with my Arabic and I'm, I'm not. So I said, through there, they said, Janine, I gotta pick up my friends from the Jordanian border this is the border crossing. So I go through and it's like cattle fencing or, or gates that I was going through. High security stuff, though, you know, those big rot turnabouts with all the bars that go from head to toe. I get in and um, I find myself in like a pavilion. This is during Ramadan. And they had food out and it's all Arabs. My first concern was the bathroom, so I did that. And trying to talk with the people. And, you know, one guy came, he was a taxi driver. His English was almost flawless. And he said, well, let me help you. So we're waiting, texting the people. They're over the border. I said, wave your hands. I'm waving mine. We didn't see each other. Tightening the story, I was not at the border between Israel and Jordan. I was at the border between Israel and Janine. And I had crossed into Janine, which technically is another country. And because I was planning on being in Israel the whole time, why would I bring my passport with me? <laughs> then, once we figured out where I was, and the taxi driver says, yeah, where you want to be is 40 minutes away by car. But by the way, they just closed the gate. They're gone for lunch for the next two hours. There's no way you're getting back. Well, Michelle's in the parking lot with all these Palestinian men. And she's not feeling very safe at the moment. And so, I'm communicating with our friends we're trying to pick up, I'm communicating with Michelle. She has security guards coming up to her. Who are you? What are you doing? Well, my husband, he went in there he, to collect some friends from Jordan. You let him in there? Why'd you let him in there? So a number of security people waited with Michelle the whole time because the situation was so dangerous. And they're worried that an American is in Janine and they're gonna do something bad and an international incident will happen. Meanwhile, I'm talking with the, the taxi driver and we're talking about Jesus. <laughs> he's, he's got uh, some Jesus thing on his video, or Jesus video on his phone. He says, this is a good one. Well, so I, I don't know, I know the Jesus film is good. So I point, him out to the, point that out to him. Uh, he says, would you like some, you know, little acorns or whatever. I sure, I forgot it's Ramadan. I said, oh, oh, I'm sorry. He said, no, no problem. I'm, I'm not fasting either. So he takes me across the street and, you know, he gets me a, a water. He offered me a non-alcoholic beer and, you know, he had the alcoholic beer. It's Ramadan. He's drinking non-alcoholic beer. I'm drinking water. And we're just talking about things of Christianity. Uh, what is the Trinity? Um, who is Jesus? Who are Christians? This is what Muslims say about Christianity. What's, what's the reality? We spent two and a quarter hours together just, I'm sharing Jesus with them. In the end, I was able to get out. 
you know, more story there. And the security people are like, why did you go in there? But it was just a wonderful thing of, even though I'm going out all the time intentionally looking to share Jesus with people and getting opportunities to do that, this is one of the real good ones where I just bumbled along. <laughs> and the Lord really used it. And I love those times. And, and when the Lord is really using me, and it's one of those things where it's a bumble thing, I can't take any credit. <laughs> and I love that. Because God resists the proud. And I don't want to be proud. So anyway, back to our situation. We're partway through our fifth year visa. And we know that in general, they won't let you have a sixth year visa. So we're praying, Lord, what would you have us do? And the Lord brought an illustration back to my mind that I heard many years ago when a missionary was speaking at a church. And I don't know what he said, but at the end of the service, of his sermon, he held up a silver dollar. And he said, each of our lives is a lot like this silver dollar in that you can only spend it once. How are you living your lives so that you're spending them for the sake of Christ in his kingdom and well? Must have had a little bit of an impact on me those many decades earlier when I heard it, but I'd forgotten about it until now we're saying, Lord, what would you have us do? And that illustration didn't just come to my mind once, but over and over and over again. So we started praying, okay, Lord, Show us what you'd have us do. So I, I found a website. It's called missionnext.com or org, and it's for people that are interested in serving in mission. They load their desires and, you know, what they want to do and their education and whatever. And mission agencies are on the other side of that website who are looking for missionaries. And so we put our profile on that, and a number of places came back interested in us. And one of them was a group called IT Global, and what they say is that greater than 80% of all non-Western pastors, pastoral staffs, missionaries, have had zero formal Bible education. Not even one class in one book of the Bible. And many of these people are very aware of their need. Now, we, we come from a spirit-filled background, and you know there's been a part in my early days, well, we don't need that, the spirit will lead us in everything, and why do you think they call seminary cemetery anyway? <laughs> but there, there is something to getting some formal grounding in the word. And, and many of these people, they, they just don't have the opportunity. They're, it's too far, they're in too much of an impoverished area, they're busy juggling ministry and work and family, and they, they're, they're just not capable. So what IT Global does is it comes in and says, look, we can, we can do this for very little money. They want to charge some money so that the people take it seriously. And it depends on the country that they're doing this in. And what we do is we will disciple these people who are already in positions where they should be disciple makers. We're talking pastors, pastoral staffs, Sunday school teachers, evangelists, missionaries. And um, the, the primary goal at, at IT Global and IT University is, is, is making disciple makers, 
multiplying disciple makers who make more disciples who make more disciples. And really, the Great Commission, I love evangelism. That's, that's kind of the thing that drives me. But the Great Commission is not about evangelism. I don't like that. It's not about church planting, but everyone says it should be about church planting. It's about making disciples, right? And so IT Global is all about making disciples of people that are already disciple makers who will then make more disciples who themselves will become disciple makers. And so we feel the Lord has led us, me in particular, to join IT Global and and be one of these people that do this, but I'll be doing something different that IT Global doesn't focus on. I wanna do this only in Muslim majority countries and contexts, because my heart is to reach Muslims as well. And so as we make people, the handful of Christians that are there in these Muslim majority countries, as, as we help uh, enhance their ability to make disciples who are disciple makers, in time, who will they be discipling? Muslims. And they'll be grounded in the word. And they, the Muslims, will receive Christ and then become disciple makers themselves. Hallelujah. It's wonderful. And I love God's word. And I love reaching Muslims for Christ. And it just all fits. So now, uh, another emphasis of IT Global in teaching people you know, most education, they pretty much teach to the neck up. They teach the intellect. But here what IT Global focuses on is transformational teaching that impacts the mind, the heart, and the hands. And when we say hands, we mean their skills in ministry. It's not necessarily laying physical bricks, but building other good walls spiritually. Um, so that's... That's the direction the Lord has us transitioning into. I'm pretty well trained. I think come, well, come January, I'm going to be doing some of the discipling online. What I'm going to be doing is three times a year, I'm going to be going off into Muslim countries. On each trip, I'll probably visit two to three Muslim countries and be doing some of this in-person discipling disciple makers. And then between the trips, I'll be back in the U.S., and do, teaching these same people online it, with the same head, heart, hands approach. Um, and I'm going to be doing this three-quarters time because we'll be doing this from the U.S. The Lord has given Michelle and I just a wealth of experience in reaching out to Muslims in the U.S., domestically, among immigrants, a little bit among refugees, South Asians, Indians, Pakistanis, Bangladeshis but then overseas as well, among Jordanian Muslims, Syrian refugees, Palestinians, and Arab Israelis. So we've got a, a, just a wealth of experience, and rather than just find a nice place to live in the U.S. and do that international focus, what we're going to do while we're here is travel from city to city in the U.S. and find the areas, and we have ways to find them, where the Muslims are, Muslim immigrants and refugees, and where the people are that are reaching out to them and come alongside those people and help. Whether it's teaching them English as a second language, doing street evangelism with the ministry people that are already there, or just building up and encouraging these people who are giving their spare time or maybe their lives to reaching out to Muslims. 
in building them up in their ministry and in their effectiveness. So what we're transitioning into is two-pronged. It's got the primary international focus through IT Global and then the domestic enhancing ministry to Muslims domestically in the U.S. And the way we're going to do this to travel from city to city is we just bought a big RV. And so we're not going to have a home. And um, so we'll park maybe 30 miles out from the city, wherever we can park it, and then we have a car. So we'll commute from the rig. We're calling it the coach. We've only had it a few days. We've got to figure out what to call it. Uh, so we'll commute and be engaged in that Muslim ministry. So back to faith. In reality, our faith is all centered on God, on Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the cross of the Messiah. It's all in the cross. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, said Jesus, you will find it. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I'm, I'm sure all of us are Christians, but guess what? It doesn't hurt to have a little review of something very basic. I want to take something here. This box. And. Ah. This chair. Let's say this hand represents you. Let's say this box represents your sin. God loves you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to be with him. But you're being separated from God by your sin. And when it comes to be the day of judgment, we are all going to face judgment. Though God may not want to punish you, he looks down on you and he sees your sin. And he must punish sin because he is holy. And yet we see that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. Jesus, perfect, never sinned. He's eternal in his being. So he can cover, his blood can cover a sin that deserves eternal punishment. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. What's that mean? It means that when Jesus was on the cross, he took our sin on his body. And when God did all of that through the Roman people and through the Jews causing the Romans to do it, all that punishment that Jesus took was the punishment that you and I deserve. God made him who knew no sin to be sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus took all the punishment for our sin so that now when God looks at us, if Jesus took our sin at the cross, he doesn't see our sin anymore. He sees the righteousness of Christ. But that only does us any good 
if we have faith. I've been talking about faith today. What is faith? Well, I've talked about a lot of definitions of faith. But all of us believe that God exists, don't we? We wouldn't be here. Do you believe this chair exists? Yeah. Do you believe that if you sat on this chair, not the chair that you're in, do you believe that if you sat on this chair that it would hold you up? Yeah. Rudy, why is this chair not holding you up? Speak loud. Why is this chair not holding you up? Because you're not sitting in it, right? It's the same with Jesus Christ and the cross and faith in him. We can believe he exists. We can believe that God will take our sin, that Jesus will take our sin. But it only does us any good if we have faith. And this chair is that faith. And the way it does you good is you sit down in it. Uh oh. I thought this was a sturdy chair. <laughs> it only does good if you sit in it and you put all your weight on it so that you're completely dependent on Jesus, on God, on the Spirit, and what He has done on the cross. That goes for doing mighty exploits for him, like Caleb, right? He had faith. He said, I want my mountain. You tell me I can go. I'm going to go fight those giants. Maybe the Lord's going to give me victory. I'm going to fight for this mountain. He put all his weight on faith in God to go out and do it, 85 years old. Michelle and I are trying to be faithful, to be completely dependent on God, to do mighty exploits, to be obedient, and no matter what comes, to cling to Jesus and the cross. So there may be someone here in this room that hasn't really embraced Jesus today, yet today. There may be a number of us in this room who have given our lives to Christ and yet struggle with putting all of our weight in God's hands and on the cross, whether for sin or for anything else in living a life and following Jesus. I'm not going to close with this, but let's pray right now. Father God, we come to you. We turn from our sins. We turn from trying to do it our own way and in our own strength and in our own understanding. And we place our lives in your hands. We cling to the cross of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, wash away our sins. Make us right. I put my trust in you, Jesus, and what you did on the cross. Wash away my sins. Make me new. Make me a man, a woman, a kid, a child of faith, 
Let me know the resurrection of Jesus in my heart, in my life. Amen. So, what are you going to do with the message today? Yes. Give your life to Jesus if you don't know him. Trust him more fully. Follow him more faithfully. Understand it's all by grace. But it's duty in really following too, right? And there's joy in that because we love our master, our friend. Will you help Michelle and I? We're doing all we know to live a life of faith. We're not perfect. We don't get it all right all the time. But we think we know the Lord's using us. And uh, God's blessed us with an 18-year-old new RV to be our new home travel around the U.S. to build up people reaching out to Muslims, to share Christ with Muslims throughout the U.S. I, and once a year, I'm going to be making these trips to the Middle East and doing all of this equipping of pastors and evangelists and pastoral staffs and their faith so that they can be strong and multiply disciples who multiply disciples in the Muslim world. Hallelujah. The Lord, Pastor Denny said he could never do what I'm doing. I could never do what you're doing, Pastor Denny, so there. <laughs> the, the Lord calls us to do what he calls us to do. And if you're selling automation equipment and that's what the Lord wants you to do, that's your mission. Be faithful to that. Guess what? Pastor Denny, me, Michelle, we're no better than any of you. <laughs> We're all the same, just trying to follow Jesus. So the Lord's provided for us for this RV. When we were in Israel, God blessed us. We were reaching Muslims in Israel, and guess what? That has a lot of cachet for a missionary. Since we've moved back to the U.S., we've got 60% of the support we had in Israel. Maybe the Lord would move you to support us on a regular basis in what we're doing and following Christ as faithfully as we know how. So, Father, we thank you. We praise you. You are God. There is no other. And we choose you. And, Lord, you've chosen us. We love you. We love you. We love you. You are worthy, O Lord, our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, that's fantastic. I don't know what culture, we're going to have, we're going to collect an offering now for, and I want you to pray about this, um, to collect the offering. I'm going to pray during the offering time. And many things come to my heart and my mind as you shared with us. And one that really caught me was when you talked about heart, mind, and hand. Isn't that what the faith is all about? You know, uh, I would like to take that heart, mind, and hand, and I would like to get an RV, and I'd like to tour all the seminaries across our land, and that would be the top of my theme, would be heart, mind, and hand. Let us pray.
Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you, Lord. How refreshing it is to to hear a word on faith. I hope, Lord, that what our brother Mark shared with us, Lord, will just resonate and well, we can take with it this morning out of this place. And Lord, help us to walk in faith. Help us to walk in faith with our hearts, our minds, and our hands. That you called us, Lord, to to walk this faith each and every day in our own way. And for that, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Um, as is our custom or tradition, whatever you want to call it, it's, uh, it's always good to really lay hands on our missionaries as they, as they go out and they journey and they serve the Lord Jesus Christ and as God has called them. So, uh, Mark and Michelle, if you just please come up here and stand maybe right here. And for those, out, those of you who want to lay hands on them, you may come forward. If you rather stay where you're at, you can do that as well. I always like to, if I'm staying there, I like to reach out my hand and let the Holy Spirit just kind of like a symbol of, 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 uh, of reaching out toward, toward our missionaries. So if you want to do that, everyone come forward. Uh, that would be great. Um, what I'll do is I will start us off in prayer. And then you can pray as the Lord leads you or doesn't lead you. If you want to lay your hands on them, then that's fine too. Then I'll close this.